You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. We had a uh, had a crisis here on how to move forward because we didn't have a really solid idea what what we should go forward with. So we we thought about um, you know just the past year and a half, whatever, how crazy it's been, and how to move forward as a church. And something that came to mind was the uh, the weirdness that the Corinthian church had to deal with and Paul's talking to them about like settle down and, and do the right things and stuff like that. And in the middle of that, he says to he said to them, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And that's what we're going to focus on for the next three weeks are those three ideas, faith, hope, and love. And I'm going to start us off with faith. Um, for once, Sean didn't leave me with something for me to go, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. This is kind of cool. I get to actually you know know what I'm doing today. So it's kind of nice. You guys are uh, going to hopefully benefit from that. So, and I started thinking about faith. Um, Hebrews 11 obviously came right to mind, so that's where we're going to spend most of our time today if you want to open your Bibles to there. Uh, but we're going to be hopping around a little bit. Um, the, uh, the idea of faith is really kind of, it's pretty vague and kind of nebulous, and I wanted us to think about that for a minute because if we get um, vague nebulous thoughts in our head and we don't sort them out, we can get kind of weird. So, what occurred to me from my science background of weird stuff that's kind of nebulous was the idea of gravity. Is that some weird stuff? When you really start to think about it, things push us around without touching this. It's kind of weird, right? And, and that, that's just hard to follow. So as scientists investigated that over the years, you know, a guy like Isaac Newton got very uh, measurement-oriented, and, and, and he got his formula. So I have, of course, everybody knows his formula, right? The gravity formula. And immediately, you can, when I'm, you know, throwing something, I know exactly where it's going to land, and I can watch the planet, and it's great. Okay, yeah, no, most of us don't get there. Some of us do. Uh, the good news is, someone thought of a better way to think about this. That Einstein guy came up with, hey, check out this. Space is warping, and the reason we're falling towards the Earth is because space is broad. It's the problem, right? It's just my mind. I can't handle all this stuff, right? So the good news is. We don't really need to understand all this to understand gravity. So all you need to understand is something like this. What goes up must come down. That's gravity, right? We can all cope with that part of it. So no matter where you land in that, you got to deal with what goes up, what comes down. Right? So that's what we're going to talk about today is how to understand maybe the big picture. Maybe, right? Some of it. But we really got to get to that. How do you understand how not to fall down? Kind of... One note, though, someone like Isaac Newton, uh, it, from historical sense, I, seems to be a believer in Christ. He's got some weird stuff going on, so who knows for sure. But when he was looking at all that gravity stuff, I found a quote when I was looking this stuff up. This is an awesome quote. Gravity explains the motions of the planet, but it cannot explain who sets the planets in motion. I like trusting that kind of science. That's a good science to trust, right? So just as an aside, uh, gravity, whatever it is, but you know, there's things you can understand and things you can't. So we ought to know our limitations in that book. Um, so I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, and there's you know there's a few pieces in here that are pretty obvious to, under, to start to explain faith, and there's some good examples there. Um, so we're going to start off with a big picture, trying to understand what is faith, right? Is space warping kind of thing or not? I don't know, but you know, can we can we get a, a handle on what is faith? So um, the Hebrews 11 verse one says, "Now faith faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen." And then later in the chapter, a little bit later, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So I think there's a pretty good description of what's going on 
um, in terms of faith from those two verses, they kind of go together. It's actually kind of neat. The, the writers of the Bible often use like poetic approach to things, and I think there's some of that here going on, because we see in verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then we're told later the way to please God by, by, uh, by using faith is to believe that he exists. That's something that's not seen. Right? We can't see him. So we have to believe that he's there based on the evidence that we find. And that he rewards those who seek him. And those are the things we're hoping for, is for God to connect with us and to, to you know, reward us that kind of way. Um, so that is the starting point of a conversation about faith, is um, believing that God's there and that if you seek after him, he'll reward you. Okay? But what is that reward? That, that's, kinda, that's where it starts to get fuzzy. What, what does that mean? It's kind of a vague language. Um, I would say if, as we read through some of the chapters we go along, we're not going to read the whole thing. It's a lot of pieces. I recommend you definitely go home and read chapter 11 and 12 in Hebrews after this. It's a great discussion point. Um, we won't have a uh, life group after this. I don't think most of us are done with life groups, so you'll have to do some of that with your friends or on your own. So that reward, certainly by the evidence given uh, by Paul, I, most people think Paul wrote Hebrews. Nobody really knows for sure, so I'm going to just say Paul because I think so too. Um, the, the evidence given by example is certainly not uh, worldly goods that were rewarded with. The, the folks that are listed did not get a lot of reward. Okay? They, they were uh, um, clearly missing out on something along the way. So what is that reward? And I think as we look at other parts of the Bible, my impression is that reward is that when you seek him, you will find him. That reward is knowing Jesus and knowing God. Um, in fact, in John 17, the very clear reward, Jesus says he's praying for believers, including us. He says this in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if we seek him, we will find him, and the reward in knowing him is eternal life. And that's a pretty good deal, right? Um, but that's still, there's still some more questions there about how faith works, because, you know, how do we know a God that we don't see, right? How do we um, and, and what do we know about him? And, and how does that give us eternal life and all that? So there, there are several pieces I want to just kind of string together for us to help us understand that bigger picture kind of idea of faith before we get into the, like, how do you live that way type of thought. Um, so just follow my logic here. We, we seek him, and the reward is we find him. When we find him, we know him, and we have eternal life. But how does that happen? And Paul, again, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he addresses some of those ideas, and, and those verses uh, speak to this. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He received it. He didn't like make it up or, or you know look for it. He received this. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. Right? These things were told to Paul by God through the scriptures and by Jesus himself in some, in some of the cases. Um, so the logic flows like this for me anyway, is, is how I see it. We, we, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need that faith, that idea, that nebulous idea. What does that mean? Well, we believe he's there. We, we need to seek him, and when we seek him, we will find him. He will reveal himself to us through the scriptures, through people telling us about him. Um, and when that happens, we will know him, and we will have eternal life. And that, that's a pretty, pretty clear picture of how faith processes. In fact, these things of first importance we're going to talk about today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? The idea that Christ died and was buried and raised from the dead. And you guys see the, the cups are out today. We're going to talk about that 
is uh, part of our, our Lord's Supper celebration together. So they're the, the foundation of our faith, and they, we receive them from, from God through the scriptures. And I just want to follow up. I, I felt like negligent to not kind of follow up that idea that you know, as Christ was raised on the third day. If you jump down to verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about that. Because it's really part of our, our reward for seeking God. It's that in knowing him, we get eternal life. This is real, right? In verse 12, uh, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no re resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep, and we will follow after him. It goes on to talk at length about that, right? So we need to understand that that's where we're coming from in our faith, is that we seek after a God who we can't see, but he has revealed himself to us. When we seek him, we will find him. And when you trust him in that and you find him, you will have eternal life. And you too will be raised from the dead like Christ was. That's the foundation of our faith. And if you haven't experienced that, I urge you to do so today. There are many people here who would love to talk to you about that. And I, it is the most important thing that can happen in your life. Okay, And that's the big picture of our faith. That, that's the... The overall structure, kind of that formula from Newton and the warping space from Einstein, it, there's a lot to get around there. There's some basic facts we can all see, but it's hard to follow all those details because there's a lot of stuff that's kind of unknown, right? Um, we have to trust him in that. So that, that's the, the bigger picture, but I want to get to what anyone can see, right? That ball going up in the air, we all can see the gravity ha happens, whether we know how it works or not, okay? So what does faith look like then? If we're supposed to live by faith, how, what does it look like? Um, in the book of James, he, he speaks to the idea that uh, if, if our lives have faith in them, the evidence will come out. It, or the things that we do will give evidence to our faith. So how do we know that, that we have faith? How do we uh, continue to, to live that way? Again, I'm kind of jumping around a lot because this isn't a, a book study that we're doing. We're kind of thinking about an idea, so I apologize for that. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 6, it says this. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's what it means to live by faith, not by sight, making it your aim to please God, regardless of what you would rather do. Right? That, that's the, the idea here. So I'm going to go back to Hebrews 11. If you're there, you can look at it. I'm not going to read it off. I'm just going to read you a list of some of the names. And those of you who are familiar with the Bible will know these names. I'm going to talk about them uh, bits and pieces along the way here. But these are the guys. Uh, there are no women unless. Uh, yeah, there are a couple. Um, Rahab and Moses' parents are in there. Thanks for the help. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the people. How about that? We'll go there. The people listed in Hebrews 11 that are evidence of how people live by faith. There's Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, for many reasons are listed, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Moses himself, again, for many reasons. The entire nation of Israel is pointed out. Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel, and David. That, that's, some people call that the Hall of Fame, or Hall of Faith, the Hall of Fame for the faith, right? And that, I think it's a great idea to do that. There are some really powerful characters in there. 
Um, so the idea here is a church, we're, try we're trying to move forward, coming out of COVID, come out of a crazy time. How are we going to move forward in faith, right? How are we going to live together and do things in faith, not by sight? And these guys are good examples of that, right? So some of them, just real quick, thoughts about how they had to live by faith. Noah, right? Noah, he had to defy the world's logic. What he did was nuts, right? And he obeyed God and did it. The uh, Abraham, all the things that Abraham did. He left a comfortable life to follow wherever God told him to go into basically an unknown place. Um, he, he believed what was scientifically highly improbable, if not impossible, that he was going to have a baby when he was a really old guy. And then he was willing, this is a big one, he was willing to give that promise back to God. He was willing to sacrifice that son that God gave him. So he's, he's really a big deal. Joseph, when he was dying in Egypt, he, he, his life was a mess, right? And he ended up thriving out of that. Even when he was dying in Egypt, he made reference to returning to the promised land for his people to come. So he knew God was working, he, the, the faith he had. And Moses, of course, Moses was raised as a son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He was in good standing. And he left all that um, for the people of Egypt. He made some mistakes in there. Eventually, he trusted God. He came back and defied the king of the world at the time, right? That guy was just all that. And then he crossed the Red Sea, all that stuff that Moses did. Lots of faith going on there, right? Um, so those are the things, those are the, the examples that are held up to us about how to live by faith. And it, the, in general, the, the context I got there, the overall theme, was they were all pretty much called to deny themselves for what they wanted to do and to follow after God and do what he told them to do, which is a familiar thought, right? If you look at what Jesus told people to do, kind of the same thing comes out uh, in Luke 9. Jesus says in verse 23, he says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Right? Jesus made it pretty clear that we have to like, give up on what we want and follow him because that's how we live by faith. And side note, Following Jesus, following God, is better for us than what we think we want. That, that kind of the, that's the message here, that these things are kind of going to come out in our favor, even though it feels like it doesn't at the time. And that, uh, that, that whole thing kind of seems kind of, it's tough to swallow, right? How do we, how do we deny ourselves? And it's rather, uh, that's tough. You just got to give up on what you want? Well, um, it, going back to Hebrews 11, that's what those folks did. And, and their examples held up. It's even worse than it sounds and when, when you... What I've talked about so far, just you give up what you want and go do something else, okay, you know, God's it's going to pay off in the end. But here's the hard part of this, right? In, in verse 13 in Hebrews 11, this was the result for almost all of those people that we just read through. In verse 13 it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. That's a raw deal, right? That's not fair. That's what we hear from the little guys in the room, right? That kind of thing. Well, they, that's the facts, and now here's, here's, let me finish this, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then in verse 39, it says this, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They had to wait, and not just wait a few minutes or a few years, 
but until we came around. And even maybe we have to wait until someone else comes around, right? We have to wait till God finishes all this stuff to get the real promise. And that's kind of hard to swallow, right? But that's the reality of it. And as a matter of fact, that heavenly promise is way better than anything we're going to get here. And as we're moving forward as a church, we've got to consider that. Times have been hard, right? COVID has been really tough on us as a church family to try to do what we need to do. It's been tough on us all individually to do what we need to do or want to do. Um, but things are kind of coming to a place where we can move past that. And we need to be considering this idea that it's been hard, but we got something better coming, right? We need to be thinking about how to, to live like these folks did in, in whatever way we can, right? That's, they had to trust God and wait on him. Um, and uh, honestly, most of these people waited most, if not all, of their lives, and some never really saw things completely fulfilled. Let, let's look at that for a second, because it, it's important to us. I, it, when, when you're going through a hard time trying to wait and, and struggle and figure things out, examples from the Word can really put things in perspective. Okay, So Noah, for example, right? he, he did whatever craziness he did. And then he, he was saved from the flood. So in, in some sense, he, he lived through his promise, right? That, that the God would save him from the disaster that was coming. But you know what? It seems like five minutes after he got out of the ark, sin happened again, and now the world was messed up again. Right? So he didn't really get to a place where he was able to live in a promised land in that sense, right? Abraham, of course, he died. Uh, certainly things have started to be in progress, but I looked at the timeline of stuff. When he died, Jacob was a teenager, and God's promise to Abraham would be that he would make a nation of them like the you know grains of sand on the sea of the stars in the sky, countless. And all he had was two grandsons at that point, right? And uh, not much was going on with him. In fact, Jacob was kind of a goober at that point. Hey, I know a Jacob that's kind of a goober. I have one of those at my house. So he's not here today. I get to pick on him. That's awesome. Um, but you know, the he just was a kid, and nothing had happened in terms of what we we see you know, developed out of that. So Abraham died without seeing hardly anything happen that God had promised him. Moses, of course, Moses is one of the, for me, one of the saddest stories in the Bible. He had to deal with all the stuff he dealt with from the Israelites. Oh, they treated him so badly, right? And, you know, he screwed up too, stuff he did. And they forced to wander 40 years in the desert because the people were afraid. You know, you had a couple of the spies that were ready to go and everybody else was afraid. So 40 years wandering in the desert in circles, not even like he was getting anywhere, you know, what a frustration. And people complaining every five minutes, oh, I don't know what happened, I jumped a calf, right? Come on, and all that stuff he had to deal with. And then uh, he only got to look on the promised land from the top of the mountain in. How hard that must have been, right? That's tough. Joseph, I mentioned already, he, uh, he got to see his family and really all of Israel get saved from the famine, all the stuff that was plaguing him at the time. I guess no pun intended, they're the famine. Um, and you know, he, he got his family to come to Egypt, they were saved, they could eat, and they kind of thrived there. And when he died, it was okay, but you know what? That ultimately led to the enslavement of the Israelites, right? They were there and they got too strong, and no, we gotta put these guys down. So his, his situation kind of went south too. He never really got to see all the good stuff that was coming. He knew, he told them, you guys are gonna go back and take my bones with you. He knew it was coming, so he was living by faith, but he didn't get to live through it, right? So how do we keep this up? How do we do that? In fact, I, Noah really just makes me laugh, the way he had to deal with it. Think about his situation. He had to, um, he heard from God, hey, you know, this thing's going to happen. It's never rained before, right? If you read that story, it's never rained before in the land. There's a bunch of water going to fall out of the sky. It's going to be so much that, you know, you guys are going to get drowning. But what is this about? Hey, you've got to build a boat and take all those animals with you. What? No, I don't want to do that. Nope, nope, no. Nope. That's how I would have responded, right? But he did it. 
and he lived with it. But how do we get past that no feeling that I don't want to do that that God tells me? Well, that's the last part of my message for you today. How, how do we then? So we had an idea. What's the big picture of faith? Maybe you can understand. Maybe you can't. Everyone can see the ball going up and come down. But or anyone can see that. But everyone has to deal with how do we how do we cope with faith if we're following Christ, if we're going to live for him? How do we do that? How do we live in a way that helps us overcome that? I don't want to do that. All right? So I'm going back to Hebrews again, but I'm going to move on to chapter 12, because that chapters are made by people later, not by the writers, so it's really just one long idea. Um, in the beginning of chapter 12, we're told this in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so, easy, so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who, the, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what we have there is our model is, you know, tough it out like Jesus did, right? He had the joy set in front of him. He faced a lot of stuff. Tough it out. And you know what? That's a good message. But when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, but he was God. Of course he's going to get through that, right? And that's probably many of our reactions. It's not a right reaction. That's a wrong reaction. But, um, you know, we, we can't have that reaction because he was also a man. Right? And he, he suffered all the same stuff that we suffer now. Um, and he didn't deserve it, right? We deserve some of what we get. Some of the dumb things we do cause bad stuff in our life, and that's the way life works. But Jesus didn't do any of that. Okay? And you know, you can you can kind of have that attitude, he was God and all that, and that's why you could get through it. But in the next verse, it kind of answers some of that. Right? I, I stopped on purpose there so we could have that conversation. If you keep reading in, in verse three, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay? So martyrs have had to shed their blood, certainly. So they, they have lived in that world. But most of us, since we're all here, have not been martyred for our faith, right? Um, we've suffered. You, you've probably, if you've lived faithfully for Christ, been a uh, point of ridicule or had to give up something you didn't want to do or whatever. You know, things, things that we feel are, are tough. But, you know, Christ died for us. He, he really paid that price. And more importantly, the fact that we haven't shed blood is verse 3, I think. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. When I read that, I realize how silly it is for me to get mad when people give me grief because I'm a sinner just like them. And I do stuff that requires me to be the receiver of grief because I'm silly, right? But he was without sin. He did nothing wrong. And he got really treated poorly. Right? I'm not even just killed, but all the stuff before that. He put up with a lot of stuff. Therefore, we can. I mean, he, he told his disciples at one point, hey, don't be surprised when the world hates you. They hated me. And if, if they're going to hate you, they hated your master worse than they hated you. So we're, we're in that same boat. Okay? So as, as we're looking at trying to cope with doing things we don't want to do or, or struggling with living by faith and not by sight, Think of Jesus. He did it. He was able to, to see past the this, this stuff and, and live for that reward that was coming, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, right? So it's an encouragement to, to continue to, to live that way. And that's not the only one. There's lots of encouragement for this in the scripture. This, is, this was actually pretty easy to find a bunch of, I had to cut down. I, didn't, I can't get to say all the things I want to say, right? Um, so another idea is just fighting the good fight. Paul, Another awesome character. He, he didn't list himself as a, a person in the Hall of Faith if he wrote it, right? But he should be there, okay? In, in 2 Timothy 4, he's at the end of his life. He knows he's going to get 
uh, executed within days. He, uh, that's, that's understood by him. And he's kind of talking to Timothy, his, his protege. His, uh, he'd mentored him up from being a new believer to, to the pastor and that kind of stuff. He's talking to him about how he's looking back on his life. And he says in verse 6, For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, fight it out. Live it through. Fight that good fight like Paul did, right? There's a reward at the end, guys. It's not, it's not like we're doing this for nothing. It's a, it's a meaningful existence. We're doing stuff to serve God. It's hard. Keep fighting it out. And at the end, we'll be with Paul. We'll be happy. And we'll throw the crowns at Jesus' feet and be really happy about that, right? It's a good day. So, so there's an encouragement there to keep going. It's not, and, and in all this, one of the things I had to kind of leave out, I shouldn't really, but I, I'm going to say it now anyway, the Holy Spirit's working in us. That's why Paul was able to do it, right? And that's why Jesus was able to, he's God, and the Holy Spirit's there with him, encouraging him. You know, God said to him in the middle of his life, this is my son. I'm well pleased. Those encouragements are there for us. And, and they're coming in the scriptures, and even so, there's more to it, right? In Hebrews 10, this is an important passage, guys, and, and especially as we're thinking about going forward as a church, this is vital. In Hebrews 10, verses, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled that cleanses from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who, has, he who promised is faithful. And let us, here, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see that day approaching. Together, we're much stronger than we are alone, right? When we encourage one another, that's what Paul's calling us to here in, in that part of, of Hebrews, is that... Um, consider that day that's coming and encourage one another to keep living that way, right? Again, there, there's some poetry and some uh, kind of allegorical kind of thoughts. The, the new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, through Christ's body. That we, we can walk into the holy place, the most holy place. To the Hebrews, that meant they could go be in the presence of God. And that's opened up for us. Our consciences can be cleaned, right? We're, we're, our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And our bodies are washed with pure water. We don't need to have any uh, rituals or anything that, that fixes us. Christ's blood has cleansed us. We can go before the throne of God with confidence. And in doing so, we can bring each other along with us and be encouraged to live the way that we're supposed to. That, that's huge, guys. As we're going to move forward out of um, not being, I mean, we're together again, right? We weren't, weren't able to meet together. We're able to function in a, in a way that we're more used to. We're going to need to be able to pick each other up and move forward from the stuff that's happened and, and try to, to live for Christ in that. Okay, that, That's a, a big deal that we, we encourage one another. And Paul goes on in Hebrews 12, uh, kind of a, a, a follow-up to that. Again, these chapters are arbitrary, so he's really going through one idea. He says this, and this, this is kind of there's a dual meaning here, I believe. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's kind of how we started our talk today, is we want to have evidence of things hoped for and things not seen. We need to seek the Lord 
Right? We need we, to, to see him, we need to have that holiness which comes from working together and living together. The dual meaning here, I think, guys, you can take this two ways. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weakness. You, personally, you know, tough it out, strengthen yourself out. But I do believe this is probably more in the context of us together. You know, when, when in Corinthians, Paul talks about the church being the body of Christ and that there's hands and feet and other parts of the body working together. When, when you personally get tired and your legs want to give out, your brain has to make them work, right? Well, as a body, when someone gets tired, we are supposed to help them be strong, right? So when you see the knees of the church drooping, strengthen them. When you see your hands getting tired, the hands of the church, lift them up, right? Again, another example, Moses, when the hands were up, the Israelites won. When they were down, they lost. His helpers came and lifted his hands up, right? This is very clear in the scripture that we're here for each other. If we're going to live by faith, that's part of it. we got to encourage one another. Okay, so... The, the, the thing I want to close with for us before we do our Lord's Supper time is in all of this, we're, we're trying to live for Christ. We're trying to help each other do that. And in that, we're living for each other. We're giving ourselves up. We're denying ourselves. We're, we're helping each other out, that kind of thing. And there is a reward at the end. It's been, it's been mentioned several times along the way in the different scriptures. But in terms of faith, th this verse to me, I, I use it almost every time I preach because it's so important to me. This is what I'm waiting for, guys. Matthew 21, 25, 21. This is, to me, my driving uh, force in life. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. Nothing better than that, right? To be able to just come to an end and hear, Good job. And come, be, come rest with me. Come into my joy. Right? That, that's our goal. That's our heavenly city that we're looking forward to. So hopefully... As we move forward together, as you're moving forward individually, things have been hard and all that. Hopefully we can recover from that with the faith that we have in Christ. Maybe this, maybe this time wasn't a struggle for you. I'll be honest with you. I, I kind of enjoyed some of the stuff of not having to do a lot of things and, and being able to make excuses of COVID. It's, i got to get over that. i got to get over that personally. We need to be together doing things. Okay, So maybe it wasn't hard for you. And maybe you have to realize that we have to get back to doing things that, that were different. Maybe it was really hard for you. And maybe it's, it's time for you to be able to do the things you want, but you're struggling because you're borne down by this year and a half of craziness. I don't know where you're at. Okay? But what I do know is that we serve a faithful God. And if we're faithful, he'll, he'll be faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he'll be faithful. Right? He's always going to be there to help you move through stuff. So um, just keep, keep that eye at the end on that heavenly city. And, and the faith can follow. Okay? Heavenly Father, Thank you that we can remember Jesus' death. Thank you that you did that for us, and it means so much that we can uh, be saved from our sins, that we can be, that we can know you and have that eternal life you promised. And Lord, we pray that as we live this life, we live by faith and not by sight. Help us to do that. It's so hard to do, Lord, to, to trust you when we can't see you, to trust things you're telling us in your word, when the world tells us so many different things. I pray that your spirit would guard our hearts, help us to understand what you teach us, and that as we go forward from here, our lives would be a testimony to you, and that anyone who doesn't know you would want to know why we know and love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.